Hello, everybody. Welcome to part two of what we're calling Cyberbytes, which is about exploring the security landscape in 2023. Um, so I'm Nicole. I'm one of the technical cybersecurity consultants here at Bytes, and I'm joined by Ellen again. Uh, Ellen, do you want to do a quick intro again? Yeah, of course. So yeah, I'm Ellen. I'm the Cyber Threat Intelligence Analyst for Bytes. Awesome, which I still think is a very cool job, by the way. Um, <laughs> so Just a big mouthful to say when you're trying to tell people what your job is. <laughs> um, yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. Um, so we were going to run through, you know, a few things that we're seeing in the, the cybersecurity world uh, today. Ellen, do you want to kick us off with, with what you've seen? Yeah, of course. So um, basically, one of the things that interested me this month was um, I came across a multi-factor authentication. Um, I don't know you call it. It wasn't really an attack, but attempt, let's say. Um, yeah. So there was a WhatsApp MFA token received from an Indonesian telephone number. Um, and basically, it, it was obviously a text containing an MFA token. But then the person also got an MFA token from NX Cloud, which I thought was was interesting. So um, I went to have a look at the admin Microsoft, sorry, Microsoft's admin page, and what they've said is that they'll begin to use WhatsApp for MFA tokens from last month, basically September onwards. And the first users were reportedly Indonesia, New Zealand, and India. And then, of course, other countries are going to roll out from this month, October onwards to November. So having had a look at this, we basically realised that the expected user timeline was not, so the, the, basically the MFA coming from WhatsApp was not expected to start um, until mid-October as per Microsoft's advisory. And yeah. that even if it, sorry, yeah, and even if it did, we should see a branded MSA, uh, sorry, a branded Microsoft validated WhatsApp message. And, and of course, we, we didn't see that. We just saw uh, just a WhatsApp message saying, here's your MFA, MFA token. So with that in mind, I guess I guess I just wanted to bring this up as something that could occur for people and could happen um, and that this might be a, a new kind of threat. We've not yet got to the bottom of it, but basically the solution, like the recommendations were that we need to reset the user's password and, of course, register for the Microsoft Authentic Authenticator app for future use. But I just thought it was interesting how, uh, like, you know, if this is a threat actor, how they're, they, you know, they're, they're jumping on on new technologies and new ideas so quickly that, you know, you could have they could have easily fallen foul um, to to this kind of attack without even realizing it. So I, I guess what so my last thing on that is that I guess the the purpose of of our talks at the moment, Nicole, are you know that we're trying to make sure that people are aware of of, of new vulnerabilities and current vulnerabilities, and that we're, we're actually like trying to stop stop them before they occur. So I'll, I'll hand back over to you. But just that was an interesting start to our session. Oh, very interesting, Ellen. I had not realised they were going to start using WhatsApp for MFA yeah. prompts. I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that or what I think about that for the moment. <laughs> yeah, um, but it is the, encrypted. Yeah, it, fair enough. It is encrypted. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, like nobody else is using your WhatsApp account in in another place. Maybe Gosh, not. Or taken your number and you, yeah, I don't know. I, no, I, I have to process that one. But like my mm. gut is like, oh, I don't know if I like this right now. Um, no. No. And you know, similar with. With other things vendors are saying, I think mm. we touched on a bit in the first Cyberbyte session, was vendors saying, 
MFA is now getting more and more compromised. Exactly. SMS MFA should absolutely not be getting used anymore. Like nobody Mm -hmm. should be using SMSs at all because there's just, there's so much compromise, so many SIM swaps happening. Um, Mm -hmm. And you at least need to be using the apps and using the prompts for numbers um, and not having session tokens that last for weeks and weeks. Like your session tokens should be expiring relatively quickly as well. So that is a very interesting one that, that I've seen there. I think mm. some of the other interesting threats that, well, I guess we've been made aware of on the email side um, or social engineering side, I, I mm. should say. Um, Mimecast recently did a session with us, you know, to talk about what's happening in the world. There's still what they're saying, a million detections of business email compromise over the last wow. year that they did just on their own. Um, most wow. of these att- it's madness. Most mm. of these attacks were were still focused around impersonation and supply mm-hmm. chain attacks. So supply chain fraud is still happening, mm. still going on. Um, and also what I thought was interesting in terms of the techniques, you brought up WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. Mimecast also mentioned QR codes coming in via email or QR codes coming in via SMS or, or text. And, you know, you don't think about a QR code coming in via email, like now, you know, for events, there's so many QR codes out there. You'd be like, oh, let me just scan and see what this is about. And they're embedding malware into, into those QR codes as well. So I thought that was quite interesting from the email perspective, mm-hmm. but also using things like gift card requests or, or requesting help with a task. Those are still some of the top ways Um these compromises are happening, not just, you know, with MFA, like like you mentioned, but also quite a lot of the vendors saying you need to start taking a step further and, and using yeah. MFA as well as secure browsers if you have to do secure activities. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was interesting that, that WhatsApp is now putting its foot in there to be one of the techniques used to, to basically fish people and, and compromise people. Yeah. Um, and it, it's so that that leads us like quite nicely on to um, we, like, we're basically going to discuss like a third party um, like risk and the fact yeah. that yeah and and the, the fact that a lot of the time well it's hard to, it's hard I always find it difficult to quantify with language I try to be quite careful what I say but we're seeing <laughs> we're, we're seeing trends basically um, so the Rapid Seven for example mid year threat review suggests that groups like CLOP you know the Advanced Persistent Threat Group CLOP habitually targeting file transfer technology so that's Mm -hmm. often yeah and that often means the exposure of third-party customer data so what rapid seven have suggested is that we're going to expect more downstream victims to significantly outpace primary or direct victims in ransomware attacks and for me as an analyst that's because you know i'd assess it's because they've got less cyber maturity the downstream victims that is you know they're maybe smaller um less able to put place more money in um like the cyber preventatives and like you know patching up vulnerabilities because they just haven't got the resource at the time yeah. but yeah but then like the, the rapid seven also mentioned things like insider threat you know it can come from third party with legitimate access to organization systems or data or there was even things like masquerade attacks, where they use third-party vendors' details to get into the target's internal web applications, 
or I think we touched on it before actually I was going to suggest that what you said was a form of whale fishing where they send out the yeah. QR codes yeah and then they use that to infiltrate systems and send vo- invoices for example to third party um, admin uh, and I think it was an Australian company uh, I'd have to go back and read it but an Australian company fell victim to this and basically it, it was um, a, a, a I can't remember what you call it where they it's a I want to say cataclysmic event it basically shut the company down they couldn't recover from yeah. it um so yeah it's, it's interesting how you know these attacks can can vary from minor to like absolutely they just shut the company down they can't you can't do anything about them yeah i mean quite a few of the attacks like um some of the other ones that i noticed they mm. don't necessarily care whether you're a business like people are being targeted on their individual yeah. social media accounts to download yeah. malicious payloads or, or phishing to steal money, um, or it could why, be in a, a document so, viewer. Yeah. Um, why, sorry, why do you think they target people rather than companies? Well, a lot of it, I think, is the start of something potentially. So to get that mm. social engineering aspect, to get information, mm. get gather intel. Uh, but yeah. some people are targeted um, to mm. basically... Um, what do you call it? Not like investigate, like private investigation, snooping, but like mm. to to basically blackmail. That's another form yeah. you, you tend to see yeah. out there. If you're really well off, that's that's going to be for money for sure. Um, yeah, there's definitely. a few there's a few things out there, but I thought like them using social media and like when you're looking at your Instagram messages and somebody randomly messages you, or it could be an account that you recognize and they send you a mm. link. You don't tend to think about it as much as when you click a link in an email, like on social media, you tend to just scroll, click, open, yeah. close. Um, so we're, we're quite vulnerable to that. So when I saw that there were quite a few new threats targeting social media users as impersonated users, um, that was quite interesting. Even yeah. using document viewers, so they'd send an email really? and say something. Yeah, say something along the lines of, "If you need to open this uh, statement, you need to use our document viewer because it's secure. Download this document uh. viewer." And obviously, that document viewer is a piece of malware. Um, yeah. But you don't think about it because you're like, oh, this is like a secure browser. I've seen Royal London do that with my pension, that you can only access it in a certain way or access a statement in a certain way. Mm. Um, so I thought that was quite interesting as well. But and this is how what clever I, the attacks are. Yeah. No, they're getting so they're getting so much cleverer and, and, and better mm. at it. The it's more recent yeah. one that scares me a little bit was around the payroll fraud. So people finding Mm -hmm. out, oh, I see Ellen works on, she's on LinkedIn. She works for Bytes at the moment. She's a -hmm. a threat intel specialist. Um, Just about when it's time to get paid, they'll call in and say, can we speak to the HR department? It's Ellen. I'm one of the threat intel people. I've been working at Bytes for uh, a couple of months or whatever the case is. I've just, you know, closed down my bank account. I forgot to to let you know, but please can you use these yeah. banking details for my salary? And HR departments are taking people's word for it over the phone. And they're like, oh, what details should we use now, Ellen? And they put in the new banking details and, well, you know what happens next. That money is yeah. gone to whoever that was that called. And you're looking for your, your salary at the end of the month and yeah. it just doesn't arrive. So no, this is happening is quite a lot. 
I think it's very scary. Mm. Especially, you know, I don't want to branch out, but, you know, with the cost of living at the moment and how expensive life is, like, I don't know about you, but I definitely couldn't afford to to miss a month's salary. Like, even if you can reclaim it from the company, how, you know, you rely on bills coming out on time, don't you? Exactly. I thought that was really, really scary. And mm. um, you might remember I was at the, the CrowdStrike conference uh, last oh, week. Oh, yeah. In how Vegas. was it? It was amazing. Um, <laughs> I've written a whole blog if you want to read about it. It's it's quite long. It's over five minutes. Um, but at the time, MGM and Caesar's Palace had been susceptible to an attack. And that was also a social yeah. engineering attack. I've forgotten my password. I'm going to call in the help desk and help desk yeah. gives me the password over the phone. And you're like, no, it can't be that simple. And it was that simple. And MGM hotels, multiple hotels, you know, slot machines not working. If they mm-hmm. had electrical curtains, they were opening and closing. Um, doors were opening and closing. Wow. It was the worst attack I have ever seen. Really? Um, and you're just like, okay, we need to be careful. And in mm-hmm. the CrowdStrike uh, session, uh, you know, using AI for deep fakes, you know, you could get a call that actually sounds like your boss because they're able yeah. to generate voices now and get that call and be like, oh, yeah, this is my boss. Um, yeah, you Gosh. want me to make this payment? You want me to take this action? Sure, I'll do it. And then you later on realize, oh, that wasn't your boss. So the deep fake mm. technology is also expanding and getting better to to social engineer people out of, out of money yeah. and out of credentials. So it does seem like it's a scary world out there, but yeah. Ultimately, we do have mechanisms in place, don't we, to mm. try and understand what we threats do. are out there. From your mm. side, that would be threat intelligence, right? And and yes. keeping up with that. Mm. Yeah, there's so many threats to keep up with. But yeah, I, I think, I mean, I, I was just having this with the cybersecurity team. And I guess one of the things we've said is that ultimately, you know, we're trying to defend against multiple attackers. Whereas, and I'm pretty sure one of the attackers said that they're actually only targeting one or two people or two organizations at a time. So it's much easier for them because they know what they're trying to target. Whereas we're trying to prevent a whole host of systems and assets from being attacked from multiple entities or, you know, threat actors. So it is a lot harder. But I know we were going to move on to start talking about uh, vulnerabilities. Um, Yeah. I guess one of my observations from the last month is that it's interesting that malicious cyber actors are now starting to exploit older software vulnerabilities more frequently than than the new ones. Um, And I guess my assessment of this would be that it's likely this is because new vulnerabilities are getting patched much quicker. Um, Because, especially at Bytes, we're very much on it. Like, look, this vulnerability has come out, right, we need to do something about this. But I guess with so many, it's really hard for organisations to keep on top of them. Um, so so what, what the, the general knowledge is that um, vulnerabilities are most, or attacks on vulnerabilities, are most successful within the first two years of public disc- disclosure. So, um, like, you know, obviously the threat actors want to ideally exploit the uh, the vulnerabilities pre-public knowledge, but but once they're out there, it's about two years, and then they tend to, um, tend to move on to another one. Um, yeah. And like I say, this does depend on threat actors. You know, some APTs conduct long drawn out campaigns whereas others are hackers who just want a quick win and to make as much money as possible from um, as many victims as possible but one one example I have is so it's a CVE 2018 and it's number 13379 from Fortinet 
And it was mm-hmm. basically an SSL VPN, which was also routinely exploited in 2020 and 2021. Yeah. And so this to me, like it rings alarm bells, because if it's 2018, that means it's a it's a vulnerability that's five years old. So, yeah. you know, my first question is why is this still being exploited? But I guess it indicates that it's highly likely many organizations have failed to patch this software in a timely manner. And therefore, there's still lots of vulnerabilities out there. Oh, there's still lots of companies, organizations vulnerable to this vulnerability. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that that's a good point. You know, what what came out of CrowdStrike in line with the vulnerability mm. uh, detail you mentioned was that like from a CV announcement to it being weaponized takes 23 days now. So Gosh. an exploit can be built really, really quickly. Um, and just in 2022 alone, there were over 25,000 vulnerabilities that were disclosed, right? Wow. We're not even talking about 2018 anymore, but, you know, for the 48 one or 40 net one. And a lot of those vulnerabilities included exploits in public facing assets as well as yeah. privilege escalation. So, mm-hmm. what I think or what I'm overwhelmed with by is is just the sheer number of them, like 25,000 vulnerabilities just in 2022. How are you supposed to do that if you don't have a tool, right? You need to be yeah. doing some kind of vulnerability scanning and mm-hmm. at least prioritizing which vulnerabilities have exploits. So a solution that can yeah. detect that these vulnerabilities actually have exploits, you need to be patching this and also yeah. doing a level of automated patching, like of those 25,000, if only 1,000 were exploitable, that's still 1,000 things you have to go and patch. So realistically, how is a human supposed to cope with that? So I would say quite a lot of movement in the vulnerability space, while it is overwhelming, is around automatically detecting what's Mm. actually exploitable, automatic patching as well. And you'll see a few endpoint vendors, CrowdStrike being one of them, Checkpoint mm. being one of them, have now incorporated the ability to do patch management in the endpoint solution as well. And this is to bridge the gap between security and IT, but also just to make IT's life easier in terms mm-hmm. of managing all of these vulnerabilities. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I definitely agree with the uh, automation. And I, you can see that's where we're going, isn't it, with the, the bringing in of of AI um, and, you know, virtual machines and all, all this kind of thing that are kind of, um, you know, really current um, technology that everyone's trying to, to get used to, really. Um, I had a quick look actually around like the stages of managing a vulnerability. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I won't take long just to have a quick look through these, but um, there were basically things like, um, so identify, like you have to have, like you said, Nicole, good internal scrutiny to identify these vulnerabilities. And this isn't just software, it's hardware and like any other element you can think of as well. And, yeah. you know, you have to routinely and continually scan. But apparently 37% of organisations admit that they don't scan at all. So again, I'd argue they're being reactive and relying on open source or, you know, other people picking up these vulnerabilities. And and, yeah. and that's that's not great. You know, you're vulnerable. Um so the scanner then has to correlate any known vulnerabilities and flag them. And then that leads you on to evaluation. So like you're saying, you can't evaluate every vulnerability, but there are websites and systems that do that for you, which is really good. And of course, the gold standard is, you know, you will patch 100%. But of course, this, this just isn't just not possible. It's not, not reasonable to do that. Um, so that's why they've come up with a common vulnerability scoring system or CVSS. 
and that of course standardizes how you um how you bake vulnerabilities so and there's there's three levels so you've got the base which character character sorry the base so the characteristics um it's exploitability scope and the impact then you've got temporal so you've got vulnerability changes over time with components of exploit code maturity remediation level and report confidence and then you've got uh, the environment, you know, how the vulnerability impacts your specific organization based on the security requirements and your modified base metrics. So I've just got two other points with this. So there are three ways of dealing with the vulnerabilities. So like we said, you've got to remediate, um, like, you know, Nicole was saying, apply the patch, update or whatever you need to the software and the system. And that basically makes you safe from the exploit. And that is your gold standard. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes that's not possible, though. So you can mitigate. So if the remediation is not an option because there's no patch or no application update issue available or it's just too expensive, um, you can mitigate it by putting other things in place or being aware of it and avoiding that kind of risk. But, you know, you can buy it basically buys you time and reduces the risk. And then the last one is you can accept the risk or the vulnerability. Um, and that's if the vulnerability score is low and the remediation cost is too high, you can just accept it and say, look, we know this is a risk. We're willing to accept the risk and not do anything about it. But ultimately, the last point is that, you know, you have to report these vulnerabilities. You know, it's best practice. It helps with the speed and the accuracy of future vulnerability treatments. And of course, it allows you to track trends over time, helping you build an even stronger cybersecurity program. And of course, that's what we're here to do at Bytes, you know, trying to assist you in any way we can to to make sure that, you, you know, you're, you are cyber secure. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't have said that any better to wrap us up in it. Mm -hmm. um, wow. So I guess, you know, because we've already run out of time, if you can believe it. Um, wow. Just in general, you know, having an understanding and awareness of what is happening in and around the world maybe with the use of a, a third-party threat intelligence tool would, would, would help with that and integrate that into your environment. And absolutely, because so much is happening in the space of vulnerabilities, having a vulnerability management tool that can automate and, and detect on the, the CVSS scores and, and show you what you should prioritize in terms of remediation or acceptance, if, if that's the case. And then absolutely managing the patching in general um, automating as much as you can. Microsoft has, you know, auto patch coming, I think. And there's a few, there's a few out there that incorporate that. So staying on top of it as best as we can is possible with, with a number of different tools, but obviously, you know, we can support those conversations and help with that as well. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts from you? No, uh, it's been a really interesting session. Thank you. I liked the facts and figures you came out with. Awesome. Um, well, yeah, um, I've enjoyed doing Cyberbytes. This was part two. Maybe there'll be a part three if people mm -hmm. are interested in hearing up, you know, on what's happening in this space on a regular basis. Uh, but yeah, do reach out if we can help in any way. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. We have lots more exciting conversations happening in our other podcasts. Make sure you check them out on Spotify and Google Podcasts and follow us for more.